Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm joined on the podcast today by Louise Hare, author of the novel Harlem After Midnight, A Canary Club Mystery. And the novel is the follow-up to Hare's debut novel in the U.S., Miss Aldridge Regrets. Writer Louise Fine wrote about the novel, I was glued to the pages of this sophisticated historical crime drama. It was wonderful to be plunged back into Lena's complicated life and onto the streets of Harlem in this evocative jazz age novel. Lena's developing relationship with the somewhat mysterious Will Goodman and his friends weaved with the story of Lena unraveling her own enigmatic family history was utterly compelling. Mystery, drama, murder, all wrapped up in a story sublimely told. I am desperate to know what will happen next. Louise, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. Well, if someone hasn't yet heard about your novel, Harlem After Midnight, how would you describe the novel? So it is um, a murder mystery. It's the second in a series, the Canary Club Mysteries. Um, So the first book features my main character, Lena Aldrich, um, she's a jazz singer, um, and it's the 1930s, 1936 to be exact. Um, so in the first book, she travels from England um, and lands in New York at the end of that novel. And Harlem After Midnight, I mean, the title sort of gives it away in terms of the <laughs> setting, um, is about her adventures when she gets to New York and finds herself mixed up in another, um, you know, mysterious uh accident or is it murder or you know she's going to have to sort of unravel all of that um throughout the book and do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to writing about lena aldridge and and also the second novel harlem after midnight yeah well for the first book originally i hadn't planned to write a series i just planned sort of this one um book which was the is the first novel miss aldridge regrets and I think my first idea, the first time Lena sort of popped into my head was, I feel like I, I go to like a lot of um, shows and lots of music events and you always see these people on stage performing and they just project this confidence and you sort of imagine that when they leave the stage, they're as confident in real life, that they have everything <laughs> together. Um but obviously that's not true. And so I sort of t- to think, oh, you know, if the, if you had this character on stage and actually her life was a mess and falling apart and all these crazy things started happening to her. Um, so that was the first time I started to think about Lena as a person. And then after that, I started to think about well, what's actually going on in her life and what, what's going to happen to her. Um, and then for the second book, it was really a suggestion for my editor because she sort of landed in New York, the book finishes there. And then it was like, well, you know, she's in like she's in New York, she's in Harlem in the 1930s. It's such a great setting, so we need to do something else with this and sort of explore, you know, having explored a bit of London and a bit of life at sea in, in that sort of Art Deco period. Let's see what life was like in Harlem and how Lena's going to fit into that. Well, you are writing about 1930s Harlem, as you just mentioned. What kind of research did you do as you were working on the novel? So I always start actually reading fiction and um, fiction that was written at the time, because I think that gives you a sense of the language and a sense of um, what it was actually like to sort of live um, 
at that time. Um, so I was reading, um, well, for example, I've always loved Nella Larson's book, Passing. So I sort of reread that. I read her autobiography as well. Um, and then this book kind of got a dual timeline because it, Lena's also investigating her father who grew up in New York and she never knew anything about his life um, before she was born. Um, and he sadly passes away just before the series begins. So she's investigating him. So his, his story is being told, but he's in 1908, um, New York, which meant that I, it sounded like a great idea at the time until I realized I literally had to do two completely separate sets of research because <laughs> New York changed so much in those sort of 30 years that, you know, people weren't living in the same areas. You know, the, the sort of black area wasn't Harlem at that time when he was there. It was a lot further south. So, um, so yeah, so reading lots of um, different stuff, just I'm really lucky that I live near the British Library in London and you can get hold of anything that you need there. So I just spent a lot of a lot of afternoons going through their collection and seeing what they had that could sort of bring New York in the early 20th century to life. That's wonderful. Well, what was your own writing journey that led you to writing your debut novel? So I, I'm like a lot of writers, I have a, a novel in a drawer that nobody <laughs> wants. <laughs> um, but it was like a learning process. Like it took me a good couple of years to, to write and learn. I learned so much during that process. And I probably submitted to at least 50 literary agents, um, who none of none of whom wanted it. <laughs> but some, of them, some of them did give me some really good advice, though. So I, they were like, you know, keep going, send, send us the next thing. This thing isn't right, but, you know, we think you can write. So I signed up to do um, an MA in creative writing. And um, sort of through that process, I sort of developed um, – well, I realized that I'm not very good at short stories. So there were two <laughs> short stories that I had to write and both of them have now become novels. <laughs> so one of them was a short story about a jazz singer in a bar who witnesses a murder. So that's The Soldier's Regrets, which is the first novel in, in this series. Um, and I actually had a novel out in the UK um, before that called This Lovely City, which again started as a short story. And my cheetah was like, well, I want to know what happens to this character. So that's not a short story. Like you shouldn't want to read on if it's a short story. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I can't complain. I've got two novels out of it. So. And so what was that, uh, what was that process like for you of, of studying creative writing? Um, for me, I think the particular program that I chose to do, it was just really fun um, because we did lots of different things. It wasn't just, because there are some programs which are just sort of like doing short stories or just mm -hmm. writing a novel. And the one that I chose, it was sort of, we did short stories for one semester and we did, I got to do playwriting. Um, and then one time we looked at genre. So we were looking at sort of what makes good crime fiction, what makes good um, YA fiction and, and lots of different things. And so we were reading stuff that we wouldn't necessarily have chosen to read. And we had mm -hmm. to sort of, I guess analyze, like figuring out how things work is quite interesting in, in terms of writing, I think. Um, and I always say, because I choose quite a lot of um, authors who are sort of, sort of starting out, and I always say you have to read a lot 
like you have to try and read as much and, and learn um, as you're reading and that will help your writing. And had you always been interested in mysteries and crime or, or did you discover it during that program? Um, I think, I mean, I've always been sort of interested in good crime novels, crime novels mm-hmm. that make you sort of think about um, sort of the bigger picture, I guess, like so, a lot of good crime novels will sort of look at social issues or something a little bit deeper than just, you know, who's, what's the crime, who's, who's committed it. Um, so I love those. And I think, you know, when I was a kid, I worked my way through all of the Agatha Christie novels. Um, so I've always sort of been drawn to that as crime as a genre. It's not all that I write. I would say I'm a historical fiction novelist and then, mm-hmm. I do tend to have like little mysteries in there, um, even when they're not specifically crime. Cause I think I always feel like who doesn't love a mystery or who doesn't want to figure, figure out what's actually going on in a situation. Um, but yeah, I think writing the short story on, on my MA, um, and discovering Lena and actually just being interested in figuring her out, um, sort of drove me into, into this series. And so are you planning to write more Lena Aldrich novels? I hope so. Um, I'm actually writing something different at the moment. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I would love to go back to Lena because she's just so much fun to write. Um, and there are a few sort of threads in her story from the first two books that I think I'd like to go in and sort of play with a little bit later on. Well, you do write about jazz in the novel. Do you listen to music yourself while you're writing? Uh, I do tend to, yeah. And I think, um, weirdly, uh, yeah, most of my novels have had sort of jazz in some description. Um, <laughs> so I think for me, in my first book, I had a, so Lena's a jazz singer, but in my very first book, it was uh, about a, a guy who plays clarinet and I used to play clarinet. So I think that was sort of my way into the character a little bit, was just sort mm-hmm. of thinking about um, the music and, the music that I like to play and the music that I like to listen to. Um, and I think, I think with music, it always in, sort of inspires you, but it, it also, it can be really evocative. Um, and so if I, when I was writing um, the books with Lena, you know, I was really picking out music that was sort of being recorded in at that period. So the mid thirties, so lots of Ella Fitzgerald and, and Billie Holiday and, uh, and things that I could sort of imagine her songs I could imagine Lena singing. Um, and that really helped me sort of get into her head. Well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories or novels? Um, so I think a couple of things, as I said, read, um, reading's important and try and try and figure out what makes a book that you enjoy. Um, and, and see, you know, how you can apply that to your own writing. I think for anyone who's a historical novelist in particular, research is always um, a tricky area because there's always the temptation to do so much research at the beginning. Um, you almost forget to write to write anything because you're so busy going through these books and discovering these cool things that are never, ever going to end up in your novel. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
it's kind of like finding that balance between yes having a good amount of research so that you know you you're writing something that's informed but also remembering this the story is what's important people aren't picking a, a novel to get you know a what, get the same thing they could get from a non-fiction but they're looking for like a fun story or you know something that really holds their attention and is a bit more vivid than a non-fiction book so I think yeah research the reading and I think also write something that you enjoy because it's probably going to take you a long time especially if it's a novel to, to write it and I I see a lot of people trying to think oh this this particular genre is super popular right now I'm going to try and write something like that even if it's something that they don't even like to read because they just think it'll be easier to have success. But I think trying to write that way and write something that you don't actually like is really hard and you're just sort of punishing yourself. So I think, yeah, try and find something that you're really interested in that you want to write about, that you want to spend maybe a couple of years, maybe plus um, writing. Well, what novels have you read recently that you enjoyed? Oh, so I... I guess the big one um, that a lot of people are reading at the moment is Yellow Face um, by Rebecca Kwong, mm-hmm. um, which, especially if you want to learn anything about the publishing industry, is very, <laughs> very interesting. Um, so this is a book about uh, an author, a sort of mid-list author, uh, who is friends with sort of a superstar best-selling author. Um, and when the superstar author suddenly dies chokes on a pancake i think um not a spoiler i think it's in the first uh, chapter um the sort of midlist author finds this amazing manuscript in her apartment and sort of takes it and decides to try and publish it as herself and it's a it's kind of about um i guess it's talking about cultural appropriation or the publishing industry and who's allowed to tell what stories so it's very good i think at uh, looking at lots of different angles to those questions um so i think that's a fun read a sort of literary thriller you might call it the future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about that's why we've created the hefty renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials to participate simply fill up an orange hefty renew bag with accepted items tie it up and drop it in with your regular recycling that's it it's that easy it's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? 
window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. I'm reading it right now. It's really good. <laughs> yeah, everyone's reading it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels? So I have my website, which is louisehair.com. And then you can get me on social media. So I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and threads uh, at Lou R. Hair. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking to Louise Hare, author of the new novel, Harlem After Midnight, A Canary Club Mystery. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And Louise, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you. It's been fun. Absolutely. I'd only been in the apartment for 15 minutes, but already it felt like home. The bedroom that would be mine for the next fortnight was perfect. I might never want to leave. The bed was immaculately made with blue cotton sheets and a pristine white comforter tucked into the foot. The floor made of the same sturdy varnished wood that ran through the entirety of Claudette and Lewis Linfield's home. Clean towels had been folded and placed on a navy blue velvet armchair that sat in the ideal position, in a corner close to the window where I could sit and catch the last rays of sunshine at the end of the day. Claude had even laid out a selection of her favourite books on the bedside table to ensure I had something to read before going to sleep. She was a librarian by trade, so I suppose the habit ran deep. You about settled in? Claude Linfield had a constant, easy smile, considering that she and her husband had been complete strangers only a couple of hours earlier. I already felt that there was no place safer in the whole of New York than in this cosy apartment. Yes, thank you. I moved to let her join me at the window, looking down into the street that was so different to the narrow London roads that I was used to. Wider, the buildings far taller, everything just that little bit bigger and brighter than back at home. It's so kind of you to let me stay. I know that I could have stayed on at the hotel, but hotels are for those without their own people, she told me. Far as I'm concerned... You're with Will, and that makes you family. He's as good as a brother to me and Lewis. Will Goodman, the reason I was in Harlem and no longer resident in the luxurious but impersonal Sherry Netherland Hotel. We'd met on the voyage over from England. A cliché of a story. I had been a passenger. He was the band leader, playing to the rich and famous every night in the Starlight Club on the HMS Queen Mary. It had been quite the voyage and the addition of a whirlwind romance had left my head spinning. Perhaps it was foolish, 
to throw my lot in with a man I'd only just met. But I trusted Will. There were so many others whom I couldn't, and so when he'd offered to arrange for me to stay with friends of his, I'd agreed without a second thought. You all grew up around here, you and Lewis and Will. I could see a group of young boys playing down in the road, shrieking and laughing loudly, until a woman stuck her head out of a window across the street and shouted a warning for them to keep it down. Some things weren't so different from home. Claude nodded. Went to the same school, and Will and Lewis went to college together. Really? I didn't know that. Lewis was a paediatrician at the local hospital. Had Will studied medicine as well? Doctor to musician was an odd career change. Come through, Lena. I know you English love your tea, but I hope coffee will do. Claude left the room before I could quiz her about Will. Will and Lewis were already in the lounge, though they had both chosen to drink beer. The Linfield lounge induced further envy. High ceilings and tall windows. The sashes lifted to let in a breeze and offset the warmth of the early September evening. The fading light bathing the room in a natural glow. An unlit fireplace sat centre stage with a sofa and two armchairs arranged around it. We were three storeys up, at the top of what had once been home to a single family. Now the Linfields lived above the two other couples. An older doctor friend of Lewis's, a mentor from his medical school days, owned the building and occupied the ground floor as well as ran a private practice from the basement. Above him lived his son, a dentist who shared the basement business with his father and his wife, along with their small son. I was yet to meet them but it struck me that yet again I was amongst people whose lives were very different to my own. I had left school with the bare minimum of qualifications. In my world, they had never seen that important. I was never going to be a doctor or a dentist or a teacher. Those occupations weren't for people like me. Or so I had thought. Claude and I took to the sofa with the men already settled in the armchairs. They might have been brothers, Lewis and Will. They sat in the same way, one leg straight out, the other bent with their beer bottle resting on the thigh. On the ship, Will had always been dressed in a formal suit, his band leader persona permanently on display. Now he had dressed down in looser, wide-legged trousers, his shirt sleeves rolled up and no tie in sight. He looked right at home, and I felt my breath catch in my throat as he looked up at me and smiled. So you two met at sea, huh? Lewis was speaking to me but grinning at Will. I could guess what he was thinking. I'd been worried about what they'd think of me, a woman of loose virtue. But it seemed as though Claude and Lewis weren't the sanctimonious type. Will took a swig of his beer. I already told you, didn't I? Lena and I got to talking since she's a singer. Same line of work, just a shame the job she had lined up fell through. All this way for nothing. Lewis shook his head. A real shame. At least now you get to have a vacation. Do the tourist thing and see the sights. That's true. I took the cup of steaming coffee that Claude handed me and wondered when it would be acceptable, if ever, to ask for a beer like the men. I managed to get a ticket back to England in a fortnight, but until then this city is my oyster. Thank you again for putting me up. It's really very nice of you. I, for one, am thrilled to meet a friend of Will's. Claude told me. 
We hardly see him these days. And when he does show up, it's always a flying visit. No news to report. She aimed this last dig directly at Will, who shuffled uncomfortably in his chair. Will doesn't bring many friends home, then. I avoided his gaze as it shifted to me. Of course I wanted to know. If he made a habit of bringing women back to Harlem, better I found out now. Lord, no! You're the first in the whole time he's been working on the ships. How long is it now? Five years? Six? Too long. Will's tone made it clear he wasn't in the mood for Claude's teasing. Too long, Claude agreed. It really is nice to know that he's not been as lonely away at sea as I've been imagining. Lewis's laugh was wheezing. Oh, come on now, he said as Will began to protest. We're only teasing. It's what friends do, isn't it? No need to take it so serious. Will looked almost shy as he glanced at me. I don't want Lena to get the wrong impression, is all. That you're a man who doesn't share his affections with every girl who crosses his path? I think that'd be a good impression to make. Claude eased the barely sipped coffee cup from my hand. You want something a bit stronger than that, don't you, Lena? I can tell. She got up to go to the kitchen, a little more than an alcove that had been sectioned off from the lounge. I looked guilty enough to cheer Will up. Lena... Claudette Linfield is my best friend, as good as a sister and a mother, too. Plus a mind reader to boot. You're in safe hands with her. But you do have a sister as well? I was trying to remember what he told me in a rush as we temporarily parted at the port the day before. A reminder that I really didn't know very much about him, nor him me. What I did know was that Will usually stayed with the Linfields when the ship was docked in Manhattan. However, on this occasion... In order to preserve my reputation, though it was far too late for that, he would stay with his sister overnight before returning to the port in time to sail the next day. Stepsister, I reminded myself. He'd been very clear on that for some reason. As much as it was disappointing that our last night together would be spent sleeping in separate beds, I knew how lucky I was to have these last few hours with him. My love affairs tended to end with a lot less civility than this one would. You know, I've been telling Will to come home and settle down instead of wasting the best years of his life away at sea, Claude told me, returning with a glass full of beer, ignoring the fact that the man himself was sitting right there. Life doesn't seem so bad on the ship, I told her, trying to stick up for him. You don't have to worry about rent for one thing or how to afford food. Things run like clockwork and people are nice. But isn't it dull? living the same day over and over again, same people, same sights, anyone of interest only hanging around long enough to get from A to B. She gave me a sharp look, and I knew that I was the anyone of interest, but I had to disagree on one point, at least on the last crossing. Life on the Queen Mary had been far from dull. I only wished it had been. Will and I decided between us that the events of the previous few days were best left alone. I had brought up the subject tentatively, but been glad when Will agreed readily. When I told him that I wanted to put it all behind me, he had thought he understood. There was no easy way to explain to new acquaintances that I'd been at the centre of a murder investigation, that three people had boarded the ship in Southampton alive and been carried off from New York docks in a coroner's van. It felt like a dream, 
a nightmare. Now I was sitting with these very normal people. How could they understand? Besides, as far as almost everyone was concerned, the culprit had been found and appropriate action taken. Apart from me, only the murderer knew the truth, and no one would believe me if I told them what had really happened. Even Will was more in the dark than he knew. Still, it was in his best interest to be ignorant. When I'd felt scared and lost on the ship, he had been the one person I trusted, the only person I could find shelter with. It was another reason I decided to risk following him to Harlem rather than staying in my fancy hotel. Some of my fellow passengers knew where I was booked to stay. I didn't think they would come looking for me, but sometimes it was better to be safe than sorry. You'd be surprised at what goes on at sea, was all I said to Claude. Well, I think you're incredibly brave to have travelled all that way alone, Lena. Claude pressed her lips together and shook her head. See, that's why I'm glad I've got Louis. I'm far too chicken to do things like that. I'm not intrepid in the least. You never know. You could surprise yourself one day. I managed to smile, a lump forming in my throat as I tried to push down the memories of what had actually happened. I took a sip of beer and struggled to swallow it. What I wouldn't give for a martini or anything stronger. Something to take the edge off. But do you have to go back to England right away? Claude pressed. And for the first time I began to feel uncomfortable. So many questions. What if you were able to find another job in New York? I suppose, well, I haven't given it much thought. I didn't even know if I was allowed to stay much longer. I'd never travelled before. My passport was brand new and I'd literally never left England before. So I didn't know how things worked in America. I had no ties to New York, no bank account or home address, none of the usual mundane things that made life tick along easily. Yes, both my parents had been American. But how to prove that when one was dead and the other would likely rather die than confess to my parentage? Well, I think... Claude, Lewis interrupted his wife. Didn't you say you needed a hand in the kitchen? To carve the meat? She stared at him blankly, blinking as she realised she was being told to shut up and leave me and Will alone. Oh, yes. Come on, then. Dinner won't serve itself. Will came and took her place on the sofa beside me as she and Lewis disappeared into the tiny kitchen. I'd never seen him look nervous before. Usually, it had been me standing before him and trying not to make a fool of myself. Is everything all right? All right, he paused. Why wouldn't it be? You don't seem yourself. He seemed nervous, but I couldn't understand why, when he was the one on familiar territory. Oh, he looked down at his hands. I guess there's something I wanted to tell you. I groaned. Oh, God, how bad is it? Huh? Are you going to tell me that you're married, or that you have a secret child stashed away somewhere? I gave him a gentle nudge with my elbow. Come on, then. Out with it. Will grinned as he realised I was teasing, though he looked a little too relieved. Not a wife or a child, then. No, this is a... It's a good thing, I hope. He looked worried. I don't want you to think that... Oh, please, will you spit it out? 
the suspense was doing nothing for my nerves. It's just that I got someone to take my place on the ship for this next trip coming up. I'm not leaving tomorrow. I'm staying in New York, and then I'll travel with you when you sail back to England. If that's all right with you. You'll stay here and sail back with me. I could hardly believe it. Sure, an old friend owed me a favor. He helped out once before, so he knows how it goes, and it's only one return crossing. The band will hardly have time to miss me. I smiled through my disappointment. For a brief moment, I'd thought he meant that he was going to come back with me, to live in England. But that was daft. We barely knew each other. Who would move to another continent for someone they'd only just met? You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.